2: Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Hi, Brian. Hi, Katie. So it's Saturday morning in Los Angeles, and I must confess... I was a little tired when I woke up this morning because Stand Up to Cancer was yesterday and we had a fun after party and I was basking in the afterglow of raising lots of money for cancer research.
3: You know, as our guest would say, you were like the Beyonce of that party. <laughs> no, I was You were.
2: Everybody was coming up to you and they weren't asking for autographs. I think but they that's were asking because for selfies. Not really, Brian. I think it was because there weren't many celebrities at the after party. <laughs> I don't think so. I think everyone is very proud
3: of you because without you, this would not have happened. It's been well, going on now for 10 years. You've raised half a billion billion dollars for cancer research and more than that you've really helped to revolutionize the way cancer research is
2: done. Well, we're trying and I have to give credit where credit is due it takes a village there were nine of us in all who started this organization, and of course, a cast of thousands behind the show last night. So I'm glad you were there, Brian. Thank you for my, my incredible seat. I by know the way. Brian had a front row seat with my really close friend Wendy and her her boy toy Randy. Can you have a boy <laughs> toy when you're in your sixties? And my daughter uh, Ellie was there with her boyfriend Mark and my niece Laura. So it was a very special night for me. Thank you for coming, and thank you for supporting. Stand Up to Cancer, Brian, and for any of you out there who watched and have supported this effort, thanks to you as well. So I thought I was going to be pretty, pretty, pretty tired, as Larry David would say, this morning, but that changed in a nanosecond when I met this young man named Jonathan Van Ness. And
3: he's the star of a new Netflix show called Queer Eye. Well, actually, it's not quite a new show. It's a reboot of a show that aired from 2003 to 2007 on Bravo.
2: That's right. It's in its second season as well, but— However you describe it, it is a monster hit. And after spending just an hour with JVN, as my daughter calls him, I can understand why. He is absolutely ebullient. And I don't know. I, I wanted to say I'll have what he's having because the guy has more so much energy. He makes me feel like I'm on Valium.
3: He is a uniquely enthusiastic
2: <laughs> character, but very authentic to who he is. And I mean, by the way, highly intelligent, highly intelligent. Clearly, incredibly well read, very engaged, and has a lot of smart, informed opinions. We should say for people who don't watch the show
3: that Queer Eye, the premise is basically that these five gay guys travel to various places and they make over somebody. It used to be just a straight guy, and now it can be anyone. It can be a straight woman, it can be a trans, trans man. person. Um, and they do more than the hair and the makeup in the house. They really help the person to kind of reexamine their lives and think about their
2: priorities in a new way. It's It's much deeper than just a kind of a makeover show. Definitely. And in many ways, I think why this show has resonated so much at a time of huge divisions in this country, it is really, I think, bridging the cultural divide and showing what we all have in common – Rather than what is tearing us apart. And how refreshing is that? Yeah. Very is very. the answer. <laughs> yes,
1: very, very. So we
3: talked with Jonathan about everything from what it was like growing up in a small town, Quincy, Illinois, where he was the only male cheerleader, to the experience of filming Queer Eye in some very conservative places in Georgia, to his hit podcast, which is called Getting Curious.
1: We
2: also asked Jonathan for a few makeover suggestions for Brian. Spoiler alert I'm perfect. <laughs> He didn't have too many. But enough about us people. Let's get back to our guest, JVN or Jonathan Van Ness, one of the shining stars of Queer Eye, one of my new favorite shows. So hold on to your hats, people. This is going to be a doozy. Should I call you Jonathan or JVN?
4: John, you can do Jonathan. Well,
2: obviously Or J V
4: N if it, you can honestly, either one of those, I don't care. They're my both daughter gorgeous. calls
2: you JVN. She I does. think I'm gonna call you Jonathan. She's <sighs> such a fan and absolutely adores you. And she and her boyfriend watched the episode with Tom, you know, in uh Georgia. Yes. I guess so many of them are in Georgia. But yeah. What the first episode Yeah, they all are. And they had they had the eye mask on <gasps> oh, if you recommend it. Honey, and they were watching it wearing the eye mask. I love that. You know, and
4: ice, like, ice is such an underrated beauty tool. It really is. She's so anti-inflammatory, and she's so affordable, which is great, you know? (laughs) I'm asking, me. No, just, like, literal ice. Ice in general. Literal ice. Yes. You know what I've
3: gotten into recently? Is? A cold rinse at the end of the shower. Oh, it's great. It's good for your skin. Where have you been? I I don't know. I
2: always did that. It's 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 also good for your hair and your hair follicles,
4: right? Yeah, well, it seals down your cuticle, so it makes it more shiny. I didn't know about this. Increases blood flow.
2: It was well, a little shocking at
3: first, but well, now I kind of
2: like it. And we it have gorgeous me down. skin, honey.
3: Oh, oh, well, my God, thank you. Very <laughs> we're going to talk
2: about Brian in a minute. Oh but I, first, I want want to get to that first question. When you were growing up in Quincy, Illinois, what was your first inkling that you know what I'm gay and I'm cool with that?
4: Gorgeous question. I think it was, it must have been a Bowflex commercial or like it must have been like an infomercial.
2: (laughs) Really? Yes. I
4: remember being like, I remember seeing like an infomercial that was like for a Bowflex or a Bowflex-like machine and my mom was in the room and I was like, mom, um, when am I going to get abdominals like that? Because like they, like I just, I loved an abdominal, honey. I was like, what is going on with that? And you weren't
3: looking at Christy Brinkley. I
4: wasn't looking at at Christy Brinkley, yes. I was like this, this all this muscle, honey. And and I,
2: I don't know if I was but that could have just indicated sort of vanity, not necessarily sexual You know? Sexual oh no, I was no, I was like,
4: mm, I was like curious about that. I was like, mm, I'm curious. And then I also feel like I, I was pretty clear by like kindergarten that like I was obsessed with Miss Universe. I wanted to watch Miss America. Like I was like the like there was this like really cute girl on Barney that had this little fringe. I was obsessed with her fringe. But then the other little boys that I was in kindergarten with, like I definitely just wanted to like push them down and then like run away
2: and be like. <laughs> <laughs> you were know, so, the youngest of four. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 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 how did your parents react to your gayness um, early on? Uh, I think my
4: dad was very, very troubled by it. Very, very worried by it. Like I would play a lot of dress up with my cousins at their house. And I remember him like walking in on me in this like fierce velvet evening gown with like a big puffy gold sleeve. And he like had a literal like nervous break. Like he was like – like it was – it was How old were you at that? I was, like, point? five. Yeah, I mean, it was, like—and then I couldn't play dress-up after that. But then, like, my aunt would, like, kind of still, like, sneak me to play dress-up. But we really had to, like, cushion the potential arrival times of my dad. You know, nothing too extravagant if I really needed to, like, get out of it in a hurry. So um, did that make
2: you feel shame?
4: Absolutely, as a as a little boy for sure, a hundred percent.
2: But then, how did you how did you deal with that? Well, obviously, that your I, aunt was a big factor. Yeah, you yes. know, my
4: aunt, my aunt Lisa's amazing. Um, my mom was amazing, and and even my dad was amazing. I think that because also, I think one thing that you have to remember about the early '90s, late '80s, having a flamboyantly gay son, there was obviously a lot of fear of like HIV/AIDS. Like, no one knew like what that disease was going to grow into, like what was really going on with it at the time. And so, I remember in a very young age, my dad being like. Like, he was so worried about HIV-AIDS. But, like, by the time I was, like, you know, like, 11 or, like, 12, like, very, like, there's so much fear on that. I mean, people had been seeing people, like, just dropping, like, flies. It was, like, literally an epidemic, like, in this country, like, in front of people's faces. So I think that
2: it— That's actually an important thing to point out. You know, I was thinking about, like, all the attention, even though it wasn't because he was gay. But remember Ryan White? Yes, was Ryan White funding.
4: Of- He's so influential with—, with um and magic uh, johnson. Yeah. Also in the but early Ryan 90s, White specifically yeah. did so much to raise awareness and funding because I mean, one thing that really that people really don't realize and this is insane, Ronald Reagan was the president in this country for 8 years and over 100,000 people died, Americans died before he even uttered HIV AIDS, which wasn't until 1987. And then this current president eulogizes this president and, and all these people think that you know Ronald Reagan was this like amazing man. He presided over one of the most intense I mean, the worst health epidemic in this country's history, and because of the people that were being affected by it, did not move a muscle. And in 2018, an entire party still looks back at him as he is like he's the model of a good president. I cannot think of two people who are more falsely looked up to than the Reagans. Really, really, really bad.
2: Do you think he did anything that was admirable at all? Um, You know, maybe
4: like economically people can make a case for that. But I think, you know, especially when you think of their relationship that they had with – um. Rock Hudson, or was it Rock Hudson? Rock Hudson, that, they that whole were close thing. Too. And that personal plea to Nancy Reagan. And she, like, I mean, it's really very heartless, like how they treated a, a whole gay community of people that were dying before people's eyes and being very vocal about it. And I mean, they really, his administration, like, worked tirelessly against
2: HIV research. It's interesting that there wasn't actually even more outrage on the part of the media. Yeah, the Reagan's for and not even now recognizing it. Like as me, as
4: a gay man, as a thirty-one-year-old gay man, every time I have to hear a Republican senator or or the president or anyone really praise the Trump administration, I think that's one thing that we really look over is what what his administration did to this country and what his administration did to the health of this country. You mean the Reagan administration? Yes, yes. it's so yes.
3: interesting as people deify Ronald Reagan. It's not as good though, word. It's not as though they didn't know because Ronald and Nancy Reagan of course lived in LA and yes. had lots of gay friends yes. and a number of people Nancy Reagan was close to were actually dying yes. of this illness but and uh, wasn't
2: and- she wasn't she influential though in getting her husband to recognize AIDS i mean finally maybe or she not? was but i, I still don't think know. that
3: it- i actually don't know that's a subject of some debate and controversy and
2: even if she was that wasn't until like
4: 87 like, this was going on in America by, like, 81. It was, like, a known thing where he was president.
2: I know that you've gotten very political, or perhaps you've yeah, always been very well, political. I always have. I come no, from a broadcasting is, family. No, which is great. And we're going to talk about the current state of affairs in a moment. But I just had I, to light the Reagans to, on fire first. He, <laughs> I just, I, I just want to talk to you first about sort of—so growing up, so you're, you said eventually your dad was very accepting. Mm-hmm. But you never really, quote-unquote, came out. You were sort of— Always out.
4: Yeah. Yeah, I never—well, I think I started answering yes to the question by the time I was in, like, fifth, sixth grade.
2: And what was that like? Because, again, this was way before there were LGBTQ clubs Mm -hmm. in high schools Mm -hmm. all across America that— this generation there, is incredibly open, so that must have been really hard. There were. There was a lot
4: of, like, really terrifying moments. Like, Matthew Shepard was a time when I was really, really I, very— I know the Shepherds very
2: well, and I covered that story. Yeah, I mean, I remember um, when Matthew Shepard was killed— And should we just mention for people who don't remember, Matthew Shepard was a young gay man in Wyoming Who, who was, was
4: brutally murdered. Brutally
2: murdered, beaten to death, and strung up like a scarecrow. And it was – And lured
4: out of – like, like he, he – it was really – like, he was lured into the situation. It was it was really one of the most evil
2: – Craven, disgusting yeah, yeah. acts. It's and, when I learned the phrase
3: hate crime. Yes. Actually, that's when it sort of infected Exactly. The, yeah. But
4: people would say to me as a – you know, that was in 1997, so I was 10. By the time I was in, like, sixth and seventh grade, like, that was a very common thing to be like, you know, you just – like, you deserve to be Matthew Shepard. Like, that was a thing that people would type. That was the people that people would say. Like, th- he was used as like a – People t- would say that out loud to mm-hmm. you? Yeah. I mean, I couldn't take like five steps in junior high school without someone like, you know, just saying faggot, screaming faggot, putting their hands on me. Yeah, I mean, it was like very, very scary. But I always had like a, a really tight circle of friends.
2: I was going to say you must have, on the other hand – been incredibly popular because you're so charismatic popular and fun. Popular in the sense that
4: everyone knew me because I stuck out like a sore thumb. But I had like four friends.
2: And, and what, how were, did what so- were those friends like?
4: Always like amazing personalities, like very supportive. Very, like uh, my best friend Emily, I was really close with her in sixth grade. I still post about her a lot. We do stand up together. She was really important to me growing up. Um, she was probably the most important person to me growing up. Actually, so
2: were they quote unquote outcasts like you?
4: No, my friends always had like a way of like. I had this other friend Kim who was like the prettiest girl. Like she was like the prettiest girl in junior high and high school. And so Thank we were God really Kim. Yes, yeah, so we were good friends. So she kind like she was kind of in there, and like Emily was kind of in there, and also people who used to not make fun of me used to i remember being called stuck up a lot in in junior high and high school and i think that's because i had such a like my chest was always out like my was chin so much was always confidence. yeah like my chin was always up like i i think i've always been able, been able to master the art of like faking it till you make it like even if you are not feeling it like i can at least convince like other people that i am
2: I really admire the fact that you just, like, embraced who you were at a very young age when people are so insecure and doubting themselves and kind of figuring themselves out. You were the only male cheerleader Uh at your high school, and you were kind of loud and proud about it. Yeah. and I I didn't have another way. How
3: did this confidence survive all of the bullying and insults? I mean, I think if I were in your shoes, it would have just— I don't know whether it would have literally killed me, but I would have been
4: certainly very insecure. I'm a very passionate person. So like, The Today Show, for instance, every morning, like, there was, like, little pockets of joy that I was just, like, obsessed with. Like, I love the news. I love to read. I love Pop-Tarts. I love powdered donuts. I love figure skating. I love gymnastics. I love to read. Like, there's just so many things that I love to do with my time that, like, I also, in eighth grade, I made this, like, huge Post-it countdown thing with, like, the number of days I would graduate high school based on if I graduated in my senior year, which I ended up graduating a year early. So I always knew that, like, eventually I would get out of there and, like, it would be... It would be better. You You, knew
2: it gets better before mm -hmm. they did the campaign. It gets better. Yes.
4: I was like, you just got to get out of here, girl. And it
2: must have been your parents, too, helping you kind of. Definitely my mom. Like, my mom, like, is, you know,
4: I think we had, like, a lot of very, like, you know, strained times as a teenager. But she definitely, like, has always been supportive and given me, like giving me the room to be myself you know
2: yeah so she, she gave you room to yeah even make mistakes I see for
4: sure Um, I did this like interpretive like lyrical dance in my 6th grade talent show to this like ghost track from like Jewel's album as um, one does yes. mm-hmm. and I like and I designed would <laughs> like to
2: see that video and I
4: like uh, I actually dread it it's gonna come out someday <laughs> I know someone has a video of it but um, I like did this like hand design costume with this like gigantic like it was like a mo- it was actually very similar to this sweatshirt dress but it was a t-shirt and it had like a glitter um question mark on the front and then an upside down question mark on the back you know cuz i just started taking spanish it was 6th grade i was <laughs> Did like "Did you make
3: this shirt yes
4: queen <laughs> i like i i glitter decorated it myself <laughs> and my mom was like i remember like after i made the talent show honey cuz everyone tried out for the talent show it was very major and um so when i made it my mom was like if you do this like you will never like this will always be like your mark. kind of thing and like you'll never like <laughs> escape it really. And she's like, I'm gonna be there. Like I want you to do whatever makes you happy, but I just want you to really be sure. And I was like, Fuck you, bitch! I'm doing it. Like it's gonna be fierce. Like you will love it. I, I hate you for like even doubting me. Like my arabesque is gorgeous in the opening in the opening <laughs> position. And so like,
2: how was it? How was it? Was it amazing,
4: honey. It was amazing. I was. I mean. Well, actually, I remember when I actually did see that It was that your one. Little
2: Miss Sunshine It moment. was my Little
4: Miss Sunshine. But when I did see video the first time, I was like, oh, like in my head, I was really giving you so much more Christy Yamaguchi realness. Like the jumps were higher. <laughs> the twirls were tighter. The leaps were much m- less bent-legged. Um, but in my head, it felt great. It felt great. Now, did your dad show up for this? Yeah, yeah, I think my dad and my stepdad there. I had a very cool, like, co-parenting. Like, my mom and dad, like, they got divorced when I was young, but they really co-parented, like, very much with my stepdad, Steve, who was amazing. Um, so I, I got very lucky with, like, my parents, like, divorced very well. Like You d- were
2: super lucky, I think, in so many ways in terms of your family situation. What about your siblings? I'm just curious. How oh, they're did so they- cute and, and good and, yeah. and fun. Yeah. They're really reproducing a lot and very well. <laughs> are they still in Quincy, Illinois? Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, are? actually, my one brother just moved to this other town in Illinois. Like, I know the name of it, but for some reason I feel weird about saying it. I'm like, I don't want everyone to know where my brother lives. I don't know why that's, that's okay. weird. okay. You, you is that weird? maintain I his weird. privacy. Do you know what else it is? It's like sometimes like I'll randomly like be like, Kim Kardashian got robbed in Paris. Like, stop telling so much about where your family lives. Like, even though like they don't have fierce jewels. Like, they've really – it would be like a RAV4 or like a <laughs> – Car, you know, um, <laughs> maybe some nice TVs, like some, you know, like a nice flat screen, but not, not, well, actually, it's probably fine. He lives in Peoria, so that's gorgeous. Okay. No one's gonna, oh, gonna you rob can wonder how Queer
2: Eye is playing in Peoria. Yeah. Um, so obviously, Quincy, Illinois.
4: So, but he was there, and then, and they, but I have, I have eight nieces and nephews. Wow. Of a lot of that's nice. children running. Well, I'm really excited for them to all be like old enough for me to be like, you know, put on your shoes and let's go to a movie. I can't deal with kids when they're so little. Like, it it really, really stresses me out.
2: Yeah, I, I, I understand that. So much chaos. I like when kids get a little. I do not like newborns. I really <laughs> like them when they're, like, Put on your socks and shoes.
3: Yeah. Yeah, anyway. You like I, them when you're, like, 15, 16?
2: No, <laughs> no, I like them when you can – kind of interact with them and they're not just sort of blobs. My sister Kiki loves newborns and I've just, she said they're like hot water bottles, but I have just never felt that way. (laughs) Anyway, so obviously, Quincy, Illinois, you were too big for that town, clearly. Even though you probably have great feelings toward it because of you're relatively happy childhood.
3: But then you went to Arizona. Yes. To move on. Yes. <laughs> yes.
4: yes. I, I I left Quincy as soon as my little gay feet could take me, and I went to Tucson. I went to school there. But, you know, really, I always wanted to do hair, and so I think I really was just kind of doing that to, like, appease the fam. Yeah. Um, You didn't want to go to college?
2: No. But you're so smart. I'm
4: surprised. Well— I, well, I did want to go to college because I wanted to get out of Quincy, but like this this is the kind of college student I was. I signed up for astronomy because I thought it was astrology. <laughs> and so like I was like, wait, where is the Aries? Where is Speaking the charts? Of the Reagans, where is yeah. like Professor McGonagall? Where is like I don't I was just like wanting more of like a Harry Potter experience and In Arizona? hmm. Well, just you know I just went to college to this like magical, cute time. I didn't realize that you had to like work so hard. Like it's hard. College is, like, literally hard, you know?
2: (laughs) I'm going to put that on on a pillow.
4: (laughs) I don't think kids realize how hard it is to, like, self-discipline and stuff. But
2: you stayed there.
4: Only for a semester. I got a 1.7. Oh, so it was you dropped bleak. out after one semester. Yeah, because I only got a 1.7. So I got kicked off the cheer squad. And then I told, I was like, I like to my mother, I was like, Oh, I totally did great. I was like, I got a 3.2, it's great. I did great. Just get me a plane ticket. I'll go back. It's great. And then they found out that I got like the 1.7 and I wasn't really cheering anymore. And then and I didn't like really have to stop going to school because I already like signed up for it and stuff, but I just had to like start paying for it at that point. And then I went for like two weeks and I was like, ugh, like, I hate it. And so then I was like, you know, I'll just take a little break and I'll go back in two weeks and I'll catch back up. It'll be fine. That never works. Like, I feel like that's a recipe for just not finishing. I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. So yep. then you decided
2: well, you were going to go full throttle into being a hairdresser. Yeah.
4: And I, went, I did the FAFSA route. I got the gorgeous grant. I got the, because like my family was like, good luck, queen. And I was like, great. So I, um, <laughs> so I, I did like the, I got some help and I did, and I went to school and I went to the Veda Institute in Minneapolis. And, you know, I really instantly kind of loved it.
2: And you really made, made a, a career for yourself, not only in hairdressing, but in podcasting and doing a lot of other stuff, Jonathan, before you even got involved in Queer Eye.
4: Yeah, I was working towards, I didn't know like what I was working towards, but once I did Gay of Thrones, I was like, oh, my God, this is so fun. Like, I love creating. I love learning. I love, like, entertaining people. We should talk about Gay of Thrones for people who don't know. Oh, my God. It's
3: kind of a serendipitous story. How yes, it, it is. It really is.
4: It is. My um, my very good friend who just uh, released an amazing book called *Feminasty*. Her name is Erin Gibson. She was the director at, at Funnier or Die, and she was a client of the woman who I worked for at my first salon in L.A. We became really good friends because I was, like, doing her hair – because as an assistant, you're not really supposed to, like – take on clients, but she was never going to pay those prices for color at the time. So like, I just kind of was like, I'll just like come to your house and do it. We'll like, we'll be top secret color friends. So we did that for like four years. And then in 2012, I just moved back to California and she was like, do you watch Game of Thrones? And so I was like, honey, like that one little evil baby boy in his sash. And he does all this to this person. And, and then, you were doing a
2: whole recap. Yeah, I just like did
4: a whole thing. And then she was like, we should do that for Funny or Die. (laughs) She's like, this is a show. Yeah. And so she really, in my chair, like, she created this uh, this concept, sold it to Funny or Die. It was originally supposed to be, like, one episode. But that episode that we did had such a reaction at, you know, five years later, two Emmy nominations later. Isn't that
2: crazy? How serendipitous is that? It's
4: so – it really is crazy. I also think that, like – I think part of the reason that this even happened to me universally is that, like, I definitely worked really hard, like – once Game of Thrones happened, like, I don't think I ever, like, turned down a job. I maintain clients or clienteles in, like, L.A., Arizona, St. Louis. Like, I literally have worked, like, seven days a week for, like, years and years to— So to, are you still doing hair? Now, so now I don't do hair as much as I did. It was, like, weird. I was really, really trying it. Up until April, I was still doing it, like, three and four days a week because I, I loved my clients and I want to keep doing it. But then I was like, honey— this opportunity doesn't happen that often. So like, and my assistant had been with me for two and a half years. So I was like, Melissa, fly. If you don't feel comfortable like with that client, like, or, you know, not comfortable with that highlight yet, give it to Monique, my business partner, who can cut herself out of a, like she can do any haircut anytime, like with her hand side behind her or her hands hand by her back. She's amazing. So, um, so yeah. So I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna take this opportunity. I'm gonna run with it. So I'm really only doing hair like once a month. Well, now. you know,
2: this is so funny because I was worried we're doing this on a Saturday morning, and I thought, oh gosh, what if Jonathan's tired and low energy? <laughs> no, are I wasn't you ever worried about tired that. or low energy? I'm such a
4: morning person. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, I'm such a morning person. Aren't I've, you also kind of an evening person? No, after known? like nine thirty or ten, oh. I'm really tired and rest assured that if you're seeing me after 9:30 or 10 like I am really faking it I would much rather be home. I really want to be on my couch with my cat. Like I would just soon to be like 70,000 cats. Cause as soon as I get back to Kansas city on Tuesday from the Emmys, like I'm going straight to their humane society and I'm like adopting 17,000 cats as oh, right, many black cats as they have. Yes. And I'm, I'm so sorry. It's okay. But my grandparents literally had a black teacup poodle for 30 years named JP. Cause like when one would die, they would like go get a, like, they would get the next one ready. Like, so if one died on Friday, <laughs> they'd have like a new one by like Monday. And I remember no
2: morning period.
4: No, no. And I just, I feel like I'm i right in that. I'm i not far from the block. Like, I need to shove as many black kittens with cute personalities, like, into the bug-sized hole in my gay heart. There's, I need more kittens. And also, my little Harry Larry is lonely, so I really cannot wait to... My other cat, my surviving baby cat, he literally is, like, pacing the edges of my apartment, like, scream yowling. Aww. Like, he's never done that. He literally knows. It's so weird.
2: That's weird and sad, But as soon too. as I get to,
4: like... 11 new kittens. I'm going to stop being so sad.
2: Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Time for a quick break. I'm exhausted, people. <laughs> we'll be right back with Jonathan Van Ness.
0: This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global.
1: work.
3: And now back to our conversation with the one and only JVN, Jonathan Van Ness.
2: Let's change the subject okay. because I want to talk about Queer Eye. I mean, okay. then later I want to talk about your podcast because I think it was so smart of you to do that too. And all all roads seem to lead to this incredible opportunity that you're, you're having right now. First of all, I love the show. Thank you. I really do. And I love all of you for different reasons. And I think the show has so much heart. And it's so seemingly authentic, obviously. I think actually the editing is really fun. Kudos to whoever does that and kind of does those interstitial moments of people dancing or doing fun things or you know speeding up the clouds i think it's really well done our
4: showrunner one of our executive producers and showrunner her name is jennifer lane and she she has so many of like the qualities that my stepdad had that like made me the best version of myself and my relationship with him and i feel like she does that too like she really lets us like all be ourselves but she just creates an environment for us to like Really connect and care and be present and be passionate because she's really passionate. That's and, great. And, and all I'm five glad of us are so passionate Props
2: about. because so often people behind the scenes no and, and aren't our, our giving crew credit. is so thank incredible. you, Gianna.
4: <laughs> 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 our crew really is though like so truly incredible. Like none of the five of us would be able to have the impact that we have without the people that work so hard to like to get us there. And it has been such a village that has created this. And I. I do really feel like it's it, it is authentic? I feel like what you see on the show is really how it is. I mean, they, there's really never a time where it's like, oh, like we loved that, but can you like be more emotional or like it, there, that? Never, we never do that. I, I almost can never think of a time where we shoot something twice. So even if if someone missed something or an angle was wrong or something, it's like they'll just scrap that and or you they'll just,
2: figure it out. Yeah,
4: or you just like move on it. So it really it feels like a very organic experience making the show, which is which I love. For people who haven't seen
3: the show, they may have heard of the first iteration of this, Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. Mm-hmm. This new version is just called Queer Eye because it's for everyone. It's not you're not just working on straight guys. What do you think are the big differences between that older version of the show and this one? I mean, I remember in one episode somebody said. The first Queer Eye was about tolerance, and this is about acceptance.
4: I think that that speaks to where the community has come from 2003 through 7 to now, because, like, 2003 to 7 was, like, the age of DOMA. It was, like, um, Defense of Marriage Act. It was very much like, you know— I like to be in the same room with you. I just don't agree with your uh, lifestyle. Like, you should maybe have all the rights as I do as a hetero person in a a married relationship, but maybe not all the same ones. And you definitely shouldn't call it marriage because she's like a sacred sanctimony thing. So like, that was the age that we were in then. It was like- It was majority support for banning gay marriage at that time. Yeah, and so that was about like- That's where that came from. And and now I think that the community is much more like, you will see me as a father. You will see me as a husband. You will, like, it's just there. It's like, go fuck your tolerance because like, I will be here all the way. That isn't as gentle as it sounds, you know, the tolerance versus acceptance, but that's how I imagine it. It's, you have to see me as a whole person now. And I think that the five original you know, cast members of Queer Eye like had all of those same beautiful multifaceted dimensions to their, to themselves and it's nothing that they weren't able to bring to the table. I'm sure that they did bring it to the table but, a Bravo network in 2003 through seven is very different from like the freedom that Netflix in 2018 is going to give you. Yeah. And, and also, you know, crafting a show for an American audience of 2003 through seven to an international audience of like 110 countries with 190 members. Maybe it, it, it was
2: back then more of a curiosity too, you know, and we're more comfortable and now. Yes. I think people so too. are more comfortable. And now. I actually think your gayness, while it's a part of the show, it, in a way it's, it's really not about five gay guys. It's about five guys. Yeah. Bobby
4: says that, and I think it's really so true. Because to me, the show is so much more about, like, human connection. And, it is. And also, like, there's been so many times where I've learned stuff from people. Like, lots of stuff. Because also, I think the audiences have come and have come so much farther since 2003 to seven from now. Like, audiences, like, especially, like, in my age box, you know, of, like, 24 to, like, 35, like, no one – is going to buy an expert shoving down something in their throat that, like, they know to not be authentic. You know well, what I mean? Let's talk
2: about that because I just wondered if, in some of these very small conservative towns, if people don't give you all a little bit of a hard time or if there's not a resistance Here's to the thing. You descending on their For town. For me
4: personally, Because of what I mentioned earlier, like, I come from a place where, like, I'm not used to walking – like, to this day, if someone says fag, I turn my head. Like, I think – like, I'm, like, someone's coming up behind me, someone's talking to me. Like, I, I still will answer to that. So, like, even if someone, like, does, like, throw us a bunch of shade or is, like, being crazy or hard to work with, like, I am so used to it. It doesn't move a hair on my head. like
3: but does that ever happen? I mean, it struck me. But
4: also, no. Like, none of the heroes and none of the people in their families. I like, like
2: that you call them heroes.
4: Yeah. Well, because I think that that, I mean, I didn't coin that phrase. And at first, I think, and I think that a lot of people are like, like, when you say that, like an ivory, it's like, why? But I think it's like, it kind of just speaks to the brand of the show, which is like, people are all heroes. Like, we do heroic stuff every day. Like, the fact that, like, we are, like, up out of bed with our clothes on and, like, just, like, putting one foot in front of the other, like, is heroic for what so many people have gone through go through, have been through on a daily basis. Like even just like having lost my cat, like that is so hard. Like people go through so much really devastating stuff. And I mean, losing parents, losing lovers, like, you know, like that German cyclist, like, like just who, like, she was like, she won gold in London. She won gold in Rio. And she like severed her back in a training accident, like two days ago. And she's like, now my arms are my legs. And she's like, people are so heroic, like all the time. So I think why not call people heroes? Like, why not celebrate the things that you think that you're supposed to pull up your bootstraps and just, like, ho-hum through life? Like, why not celebrate, like, what we've been One person been- I
2: really – one person I loved is Tom, who was in the first episode, because he was so open, which I really, really appreciate. Really open. You know? And, and willing to have this dialogue. And I think that is what speaks to the heart and soul of this show. As I said, I think the gayness kind of falls away but what I think gets front and center is bridging these cultural divides and these these tribalistic tendencies yes. that we have and really in, in a way that's not so hitting you over the head or luxury or preachy, just kind of getting this kind of dialogue out there, whether it's Bobby talking about growing up in an evangelical church or – or Tom being honest about how he felt about homosexuality, you know, those are the moments that really strike me. And I think, wow, this is really achieving something. You don't see many instances when people like the five of you are talking to people like Tom or the guy with six kids with the house that was just such a nightmare, but with the darling wife who loved her husband so much. Anyway, I think... To me, that is the secret sauce of the show. Or the
3: African-American lady at the beginning of season two. Obsessed with
4: Tammy.
2: Yeah, Miss Tammy.
4: And
3: and this was just alluded to a little bit in that episode, that she was very hostile toward her gay son at first. And that was perhaps what helped— drive him out of that town. And then he came back and they reconciled. And so there is a little more subtlety and um, awareness of people's flaws and prejudices and in
2: Skyler, the And Skyler, you know, Tan was very open mm-hmm. about feeling slightly ignorant about the trans community. And- he is
4: such a fearless soldier and advocate and just strong, amazing man, Skyler. I love him so much. And I love Mama Tammy so much. And – in, in fact, Gay Georgia is like going through this like Corey Rock thing right now because like this big rock company wants to build a Corey in Gay Georgia and they have this issue – and I noticed this a lot in Atlanta, actually, and I'm really ho- hoping that Stacey Abrams wins uh, governorship there and can, you know, kind of correct this. And I think that a lot of states that have one large city, like, you know, whether it's Chicago and Illinois or Atlanta and Georgia or New York City and New York, those states have so much adject poverty and lack of essential, normal, basic materials because of the way that state legislatures are set up to, like, really kind of, like, over-provide for the bigger population centers. And
2: I mean... It just feels like JVN's a listening tour for a presidential bid?
4: Well, well, I mean, I I never would, I never ever in a million years would go into politics, but I do, I'm more of a, I'm more of a recapper. I'm more of a, I have too many skeletons, honey. Don't (laughs) we all? But
3: you know what's interesting, by the way, per the point you mentioned, in these small towns and rural areas, people vote overwhelmingly for less government, for conservatives. Yeah. And they do it mainly because of cultural issues, not economic ones. Or if they have an economic bent, they believe that the government just always going to fail them. And do you think that the show puts sort of too positive a gloss on people's real views on these social issues? I mean, one of the things that really led to the election of Donald Trump was just overwhelming vote share in small towns and rural areas, largely driven by discomfort with the way America is
4: changing. Well, I don't know if people that voted for Donald Trump were more driven to vote for him because of the way that America is changing versus the overwhelmingly misogynistic sexist coverage that Hillary Clinton endured for the last 29 years, like, of my whole life. Like, she's in so much positive things that were, like, so vehemently covered by the media and, like, really so – she was so demonized. And I also noticed that in Kansas City, like – The way that female politicians are demonized and covered, not only by the media, but also their political opponents, is very starkly contrasted by when two men run against each other. What men will bring up against women is much deeper and much more sinister and much more cutting than what men bring up against men. So so yeah, I, I don't think that, that the show put too much gloss. And I think that at some point when tribalistic tendencies have come so much into play and is really causing such a divide in this country, at some point you have to have an entry point into a conversation to bridge those divides. And when CNN and Fox News is so polarized and is really writing so much for headline and for clickbait and not about really educating people or really trying to teach people to critically think, that's an issue. Uh, so I think that, yeah, I, I don't think that query that queer put too much of a glossy thing on. And also I think it's important to remember that a lot of the people that voted for Trump, like I think that Hillary was a little bit correct and some of them are deplorable in the sense that they're racist, sexist, misogynist, xenophobic. There's also a lot of really good people like Tom, who I would assume would vote for Trump, that aren't misogynistic, aren't sexist, aren't xenophobic, are actually good people who have really been left behind and don't have a way to critically think or figure out what and their new role in this new technology is. You know, because yes. coal mines are closing and now it's more tech and and these people have legitimate needs and concerns and they don't know, how, they literally don't know. And they've completely lost faith, I think. Completely and, lost and faith Washington and people and have, and and also people have given up on them because in the media and, and, the, and Republican Party He's like, when you see these ads, you would think that, like, Claire McCaskill is ushering in, like – ISIS into the country to, like, take the guns from everyone. I mean, it is so fear mongery and so crazy and just so far out of base of, like, what is really going on. I mean, Claire McCaskill has been a really good senator for the state of Missouri. She's worked really hard for people in rural communities. She's worked really hard for disadvantaged people. And the way that she's portrayed in these in political ads, I've really noticed in Kansas City, it's crazy. But
2: the extremes, I think, have taken over, you know? And I think it's also dangerous to generalize about Trump voters— in the first place, I, I think Jonathan makes a really good point. You cannot say this whole swath of people voted for him because of X.
4: No, absolutely not. And Although some I of do them think- do suck. Like so, like the deplorable thing, like there was a piece of that that was true. But anytime you're making like huge, gigantic blatant statements, I do think that it's like like a little bit of an ish, but also to the point of like, did Queer Eye put too glossy of a cast on conservative people in rural areas? I don't think so. No, because what are you going to do? Like, have the five of us come to someone who's like extremely homophobic and ex- like and be like have us be in like unsafe situation? Like, you're obviously not going to have us like make over someone who's like unsafe Having for us to, to be bad, on. Having said that, do
2: you think they put on their best face and that some of it belied some of the undercurrents of racism, sexism, misogyny, homophobia?
4: Maybe with people who were like in locales where we were like like the one with Joe Gawa where we were doing that like stand up thing at that like rotary club sort of place like when we were actually there like i didn't realize like how Crazily, people were looking at me. Like, it didn't occur to me at all. Like, I, there was one but guy when you
2: watched the episode. Yeah.
4: Then I was like, holy shit, like that guy was really being an asshole. And there was, there was a lot of stuff going on, but it didn't, I mean, cause like I said, it like goes over my head. I, like, I'm too busy being fabulous to notice. <laughs> um, but I, but tell so me the t- title of your book.
2: <laughs> I like that. I, every time you say something like that, I'm like, I'm putting that on a t shirt.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, and also I think that most people, most people are, are good at heart i think most people are
2: i do think that media today is dividing people because you do have an alternative universe depending on where you're getting your news and information totally and and then it just feeds your sort of worst impulses to to you know, as as President Obama would say, manufactured outrage on both yes, sides. Yes,
4: yes. I think Fox and CNN are the biggest offenders. Because when I watch CNN— What about MSNBC? Don't watch it, so I don't know. <laughs> Sorry about it. Rachel, I love your haircut. Wh- I just never had that channel. Don't care. Um, but as far as CNN— <laughs> And Fox, it's over and over and over and over and over. It's the exact same thing. And I'm like, with all of your money and all of your resources, like, can you not go to Yemen? What about the cholera outbreak? Three hundred thousand people. This is the
2: problem, Jonathan. When they start covering those things, ratings go down because people want to watch the reality show, and it's far more expensive to cover.
4: I mean, so you get better. But ratings can't you give me? But mil- can-,
2: can I get moments? Can't we diversify a little bit? Like, can't we move a couple doors down? It was interesting because I was talking to a friend of mine who works at MSNBC, and I said, Oh gosh, there must have been some relief about about the Thai rescue, because at least it was a moment to depart from Trump 24-7. And she said, we didn't even cover that. So I think it's become so just political-centric. So at some, but
4: at some point, like, doesn't someone need to be the bigger person and take the hit and see if people actually choose a better
2: source? It's all about the But money. wouldn't that
4: be interesting, though, if someone could— Take, like, give me, like, a Reuters or an NPR moment, but in a capitalized network and see if that works. No one's ever tried. Like, I
2: think probably they have.
4: Dateline kind of was, like, a moment. Because I have to say, Soledad O'Brien's coverage of that Jonestown documentary in, like, 2011, I still think about it. So good. So, I mean, I do think that uh, Vox I wouldn't know enough about to say this. And I actually would—I think I could also go out on a limb enough to say that it is not—they never do good stuff. But CNN— does do good stuff sometimes. I mean they do do good investigative journalism sometimes. I do feel like that Soledad special she brings the heat with CNN. I love that. Also Sanjay Gupta, we love him. But I do think that just the way that it's laid out, I think that the whole like ratings machine and how that relates to news and what that's doing to our country. It's like if you if if CNN's going to sit and call Donald Trump like not fit for presidency and not and you know not patriotic. It's like what... Is because like my set stepdad always said, if you're pointing at someone, calling them something like you got three fingers pointing back at you. So I think that we all have a hand in this, and we all could make this a little bit cuter.
3: Can we talk about this medium for a second? As yes. To cable news,
4: love podcasting. podcasting.
3: So you do another podcast in mm-hmm. addition to Gay F Storm? Yes. Called Getting Curious. Yes. Well, Game of
4: Thrones is a web series. That's a web series. People cannot. But also, oh, I'm no. Sorry. Okay, let me do that. No okay, shade yeah. to you, though, honey. People do that all the time. People like don't know what the things are. A web series is like a video on the internet that's a series of videos. I'm sorry. And then a podcast <laughs> is when we're here with these gorgeous I really microphones in our up. face. Okay. No, but it's like. But lots of people do. But <laughs> yeah, also, go ahead. tomato, a, tomato.
2: Yeah, it's fine. It's okay. fine. <laughs> Tell me
3: a little bit about how you got into podcasting. What you think of the medium, and sort of what the point of your show is.
4: So. I was inspired by Aaron Gibson and Brian Safi because they have another amazing podcast called Throwing Shade. That was the first podcast that I ever listened to and I was like fun. I got lucky enough to assist for um this photo shoot that Annie Leibovitz did in like a long time ago with an old boss of mine and she what I learned from her that was so interesting because when you think of like photography and fashion and print, it's a very curated, very produced world. Her whole phase that she was at least going through then was that like if anything even felt like it was bordering on too produced or just too like forced, she was like, "Oh, I hate it. Get away from me." Like hated it. Like that hair is too done. that sure it's too fucking done. Like, it's all too done. She hated it. Like, it just had to be very, like, raw and real. And I loved that about her. So Annie? Yeah.
2: Because that's so unusual if you look at her Vanity Fair work. And
4: that phase, though, that she was going through, like, this, like, 2011 phase, it just needed – and even if it does turn out looking really produced, like, she she needed the set to feel, like, just very, like, undone. Like, having been there, it made sense. I guess as someone who, like, wasn't on the set, I can see how that wouldn't make sense. But the point is is that in getting curious when I started doing that, I was like, I don't want any sort of, like – reoccurring segment. I don't want any sort of like bells and whistles. I just want like the same song to start every time. And then me and the same, like me and an expert to talk 30 minutes, sometimes works. I can't stop talking to learn about something. And I just like didn't want anything like to produce. I just wanted like a natural little combo.
2: Tell me about some of the episodes. I know you did one on the Middle East, for example. Yeah, I've
4: done two on the Middle East with the uh, professor of Islamic history from UCLA. His name is Dr. James Kelvin. I love him so much. He's so smart. He, um, He's lived you like. He broke all, it down. Yeah, he broke it down. He continues to break it down. He's someone who I will definitely have back because he has such a wealth of knowledge and, and and I think that Middle East politics and Middle East history is so confusing for like a gay kid from Quincy, Illinois. Like, how do you even break all that down? So, uh, I've done one on like psychobiological approach to couples therapy, which is short for Pact, which is invented by Stan Takkin So I interviewed him. He's oh my God, incredible. You're like
2: making up for dropping out of college. I am, but it's but but here's the thing: I can't
4: fake interest in something I'm not interested in. So you take a topic that you're really interested in and you
3: figure out who the right person to talk to is uh-huh. about that and you just talk to them. Yeah. And you try to learn
4: as much as you possibly yeah. can. And, and before beyond. it was a success, I used to have to like cold email like 20 and 30 professors of like bees. Anything. Yeah, like to and, like,
2: Entomologists. To get, to, or to, yes, yes, etymologist? yes.
4: Entomologists. Is, that's what it is. It's <laughs> fun now because it's like it's easier to produce now because now people know what it is, which is fun.
2: Well, let's talk before we go about Brian because oh, no. um, I thought I'm going to ask Jonathan to kind of, if he had to make over Brian... What would There's he so do? Much. Where would he even be? Honestly, I
4: think you are such a handsome boy. You have very beautiful skin. You got oh. great hair. I love your outfit. I thought you looked great today. Really? Wow. You Wouldn't yeah. like do anything
2: really with his hair? Put some product in it? Maybe, maybe of, you it's could maybe a little I mean, plummet so in her to like chunk Jonathan. it up a little bit. And
4: I also am curious if you had like a little bit more stubble. Like I wonder if you had like a little bit more like bad boy stubble. Like I wonder a little what his more story. More
3: stubble? Well, I could I could grow it out for a couple. Of like days. I feel
4: like if you had like a few more days, like you'd be serving like a little bit of like David Muir like realness. You know what I mean? Like I'd have to work out for about two years. I mean, I would be curious to see what you looked like if you were just like going to Whole Foods. Like this what do you wear if you're just like going to the grocery pretty store? Much, this yeah.
2: Is pretty much. yeah. In much that case, I would say that up you need like to like this. I
4: want you to get if if I could not to say the name of my podcast in sentence, but I would love to see you getting curious about like what's your athleisure look? What's your like comfy like casual? What if you ever went to go play tennis or something? What would you wear? I, I can't would wear actually that.
2: like Jonathan to take a crack at my husband John. <sighs> he definitely could use a little fashion help. But I have to ask you about your your queer eye. Brethren. Oh my God, yes. Yeah. I think a lot of people are fascinated by the whole crew. Yes. Okay. So let's talk about Bobby. Okay. Bobby does more work than anyone. Let's face it.
4: He does so much work, (laughs) but he also has a team quintuple the size of anyone's. Like, I don't have, like, I don't have an assistant. I I have this year, I, for the first time, have someone to help me because I'm doing like much larger uh, transformations this time around. Um, I'm getting much more into like color and stuff, but Bobby does do so much work. He, and he is incredibly passionate and co- and incredibly committed, but again, I really
2: like, like him.
4: No, I love him. He is, when we got cast, when I first met him, he was someone who like, just we immediately were really close. He knows every single like dark secret about me. Like, like he- like, he knows everything about me. He's, like, one of the most trustworthy people I know. I love him. He's he's so funny. He's really, really genuine. He's a really, really hard worker. Like, I absolutely adore him.
2: And his background is sort of similar yeah. to yours.
4: Well, well, our biggest beef is that Illinois people make fun of Missourians for driving, and Missourians make fun of—well, actually, really what it is is— Missourians get made fun of by Illinoisans for the driving, and then Kansas people also make fun of Missourian people for their driving because everyone knows that universally Missourians cannot drive. <laughs> and um, and that's just for me coming from a border town. Like, that's just, you know, there's no shade there. It's just... Why can't Missourians because drive? Because they don't have a driver's ed program. Like, your parents teach you how to drive. Seriously? Yes!
2: All right, let's talk about it's Tan. It's a thing. Obsessed with Karamo, tan.
4: obsessed with Tan. Tan I love so much. um I, like what to like should eat. we introduce what these people do for their Oh, who Tan, don't. Is, oh Tan's, Tan's Tan is fashion. the
2: clothing fashion guy. Bobby is the home yes. makeover. Tan
4: maker. and I is like main goal in each other's life is like his goal in my life is to teach me boundaries and my goal in his life is to take them all away. So, you know, there's always like that gorgeous friendship. Uh, I love his hair. T- I love his hair so much. Very particular about his hair, but I love him so much about it. Is
3: that a natural gray or does he Yes, do? queen.
4: Yes. You cannot buy that color in a box. I think honey. it's really it pretty. So I natural. wish my hair would so look like So stunning. That. I'd like to go gray. Should I? Well, my mom and I grew hers out. And if you ever wanted to, because you're so light now, it wouldn't be. Because like my mom and I grew out her color is the best decision we ever made. She looks amazing. She looks amazing with her striking. I'm just afraid hair. mine's
2: going to be sort of nasty, you know, salt and pepper. Every time I mention it, all my friends say, oh, "No, you'll look too old." I think silver hair is stunning, and I think that it's very like underrated. And can you make it like look whiter if it doesn't come? Yeah, in you can do a, a little gloss. Color? You can
4: do like a semi-permanent gloss that's got like a violet base to like counteract any yellow in it to like brighten it up as much as possible.
2: All right. Well, we'll discuss. Later.
4: Yeah, but I also love your color the way it is. She's beautiful.
2: Thank you. All right, let's talk. Talk about yes. Anthony.
4: Love Anthony. Such a hard worker. A really, really just true He's got friend. Got rock and bod. Solid person. Really rock and bod. Um, which, which
2: one is Anthony? Anthony does cook, the food. Cook, oh, yeah, the food. food yeah. wine. Yeah. He's so funny. Like I'm like, give Anthony more to do than just teach a guy how to make guacamole. But you know what? It's
4: he gets a lot of flack for that. But I think that it's like when you think about you know his vertical and my vertical. Like, am I going to come in on a guy who's never used sunscreen before and give him like a light contour beat? Like, am I going to show him how to contour his face and how to, you know, get – like, no. Like, you have to meet people Baby where steps. they're at. I agree. Like, so, yeah, I think that he got a lot of undue flack for that. I mean, a lot of these – like, Tom, the most Tom ever – Did he get a
2: lot of flack for that, by yes, the way? Yes.
4: Like, in the press, he got a lot of flack for um, his cooking skills and, like – Tom literally was eating Cheetos and Mountain Dew margaritas every day for like a year. So, like, getting him to make guacamole was la cordon bleu. See, teaching him how to cut an avocado was like, that was epic for him.
2: Yeah, I think it's probably big city slickers kind of condescension. Yeah, it's like, huh. By Le Caramo.
4: Yes. Um, He's so handsome. Yeah, so handsome and really so empathetic and so smart and um, really, really caring and just, you know, a really good
2: guy. Like, I cannot say enough good words about him. I love them. You guys have all made a big mark for each of your careers. Do you guys get competitive? Really? No. I think – I think
4: all of us really kind of operate by like that law of abundance versus the law of scarcity. I don't think that like when any of us gets like something good that happens to us, I don't feel like any of the rest of us feel like that takes away an opportunity for the rest of us. So I really feel like we do operate like from a law of abundance space and I, I, it doesn't feel jealous at all. I, we are so happy for each other and like really, I mean, like they come to a lot of my stand up shows. They post my, like we post each other's stuff. Like we're all really supportive and, and really love each other.
2: How is your stand up career going? Oh my God, it's
4: been so fun. I, I, I was, when I first started doing it, I, I was like kind of coasting by on like, oh my God, everyone loves you so much from the show. And you're like a new kid on the block. So you can kind of almost just like get up here in heels and dance around and everyone will think it's funny. <laughs> Lately, I'm more like, oh my God, like you got like this is an art, this is a craft. I gotta like get it together. I'm like, so I'm really like working on my act. I'm really, it's funny. Are you it's, performing
2: in clubs? And- mm, yeah,
4: like clubs, stand up places, and it's just fun. Like I it's a whole new medium, it's a whole new art. I feel like I haven't been this passionate about learning about something since like I started doing hair. So it's really, it's like a whole new medium for me to get into and kind How of. How are you learning about and, it? Are you taking Trial and error. Class? Honey. No, trial and error. <laughs> Um, I just I'm getting up. I, I work a lot with my friend Kyle, who is coming on the tour with me, the hotels.com tour, and she'll come to all of my uh all the comedy shows, and we're just spitballing a lot with each other and working a lot with each other. It's just it's really fun.
2: And talking about your life and your life experiences. Yeah, is I'm that more a storyteller
4: than a one joke, than yeah. a one-liner person, but I work in some good one liners throughout, but those are always pretty meta. Like I don't really plan those ones well, out Well, like much. you
2: like you have today. Yeah. Well, I I'm so happy for your success. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for doing this. It's really nice to meet you. So nice you. Katie's still
3: so a little upset that you don't want to make me over,
4: but that's <laughs> Hey, honey, okay. you brought the heat today. You look great. <laughs> Not your fault. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for <laughs> having <laughs> guys. Thank
2: you, Jonathan. Yes. By the way, before we go, a quick footnote. The very next day after we interviewed Jonathan Van Ness, Queer Eye took home three Emmys. So congratulations, JVN, and to the entire Queer Eye team, well done that wraps up our show for today, folks.
3: Thanks this week to Cody Ziegler in our L.A. studio who helped us out with this recording and on a Saturday morning, I might add. Thank you, Cody. Our usual thanks to our producer, Gianna Palmer, our associate producer, Nora Ritchie, and our engineer, Jared O'Connell, who mixed this episode. Thanks also to Katie's amazing, indefatigable assistant, (laughs) Beth DeMoz.
2: And a warm welcome to Julia Lewis. Well, I always want to say Julia Lewis this. (laughs) (laughs) Julia Lewis, who is our great great new digital content manager at Katie Couric Media. Mark Phillips wrote our theme music. Katie Couric and I are
3: the show's executive producers. Find me on Twitter at GoldSmithB. And Katie, meanwhile, is
1: all
2: over the social
3: medias under the
2: name Katie Couric. And folks, a heads up. Next week's show and the one after will be slightly different. We're going to be trying out a documentary format for the first time to mark the 10-year anniversary of my interviews with then-vice presidential candidate Sarah Palin. And we should mention, Brian, you were a really important producer during the course of those interviews. Yeah, you've been putting up with me for a very long time.
3: (laughs) I can't believe it was 10 years ago. Anyway, for this two-part audio doc, you and I spoke with many of the key players from the 2008 campaign. Our goal with this series is to reconstruct what happened in front of
2: the camera and behind the scenes. Right. All the palace intrigue that was going on at CBS News at the time. Well, not all of it. But we really wanted to explore also, Brian, whether Sarah Palin's brand of politics, sort of firebrand, brand of politics helped pave the way for the politics of Donald Trump. Again, this one will be a two-parter, so look out for it next week and the week after.
3: We'll talk to you then. Thanks, everyone,
2: for listening. Thank you.
4: If you dare.